Lauren Dukeman, and I'm one of the hosts of the Compel Podcast. On our third episode, we are sitting down with Sylvia Krobel, a missionary from Papua New Guinea. We are excited to talk with her about the teamwork it takes to support church planters and isolated people groups, and hope it gives clarity on some of the vital roles needed in missions. So welcome to the Compel Podcast, how ordinary women spread the gospel story. Welcome to the Compel Podcast. I'm here with my friend Lauren, and we have a guest, Sylvia, here. Welcome back, Sylvia. Thank you. This is exciting for me because you and I go back quite a ways, and so I just want you to talk about a little bit about how you heard about Ethnos Canada, how you and Gary um, got into the mission, and then we can talk more about your support role. I have known about Ethnos Canada for many, many years. I have um, a relative that went through Durham and went to Papua New Guinea first. And um, that was the Fonses. And then their daughter went, which was Kathy. And she married Andrew, who's my cousin. So they've been serving for many years. And so we knew them already and so we knew about ethnos that way. And I think they work in the, okay, I always say the <laughs> tribe wrong, Ruzurumpia? Very close, Ruzurumpia. Okay. Yeah. So they are in a very difficult tribe with a difficult language and still serving there. So um, that's how we heard about ethnos is just through our family. And, so, and my parents supported them. So they were on our fridge. That's awesome. And you you guys had um, been living in St. Thomas at the time. Yes. And um, you have four kids. So all your kids were born. And like by the time you came into the training, they were um, already like uh, young adults or how old were they? Yeah. So first we went to the field for just eight months and then came back for the training. So when we went to the field, they were about 14, 13, 10, and 11, I believe, something like that. So we had two teenagers and two almost. They're all pretty close in age, aren't they? They are. Yeah. Yeah. When our last was born, we had four kids, four and under. Yeah. So, which is great. Yeah. Except when you want to put them in college. And then it's like, <laughs> oh my goodness, every year we're putting someone into college. <laughs> yeah. Gets a little expensive. Yep. Oh, man. Um. So when you first heard about ethnos and the needs of um, reaching the unreached, like, did you know how you were going to fit in? Did you have an idea or what was some, what was an area that you thought, man, I would love to do this? Okay, so I'm going to tell you what brought us to um, ethnos and going. Andrew and Kathy had put out an email asking for dorm parents. They were desperate for dorm parents at Lapalo. And we're like, oh, we could do that. So we kind of looked at things, and at the time we had decided to go, we looked at the needs list and also saw they needed um, a drywaller in Lapalo. So Gary's like, I love drywalling. So oh and, our, and our parents or our <laughs> cousins were there, so we knew someone. So we're like, okay. And we looked at the needs list in all the fields on Ethnos website, but we just kind of decided to do 
the drywalling because it was close to mm-hmm. my cousins. And I figured we could just come and be dorm parents. I was very naive. We arrived and like, could we be dorm parents? Right. And they're yeah. like, well, not really. We There's need a to process. know you a little bit <laughs> yeah. more before we throw you in with our kids. So, but at that time, Gary then just did the drywalling. I got interviewed to see what kind of things I was good at and they put me in a role. So I really had no idea what I was going to do until I arrived. Yeah. Um, okay. So was there a time that you did, were you able to be dorm parents at all? No, we decided after looking at the role, um, I wasn't sure that I would be the right person for that. I knew that I would do a great job at organizing, making Mm -hmm. sure their homework was done, making sure they had food on the table and meals, but emotionally, I probably wouldn't be the right person. Mm. So we decided that it would be better if we just stayed working in our center ops department and making sure that um, the houses didn't fall apart on the dorm parents. Yeah. And you're right. Like, I know a little bit about you and I know how organized you are and how um, if if there's something that needs to get done, you can ask Sylvia and she'll do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Very reliable. So um, what was the first ministry then that you dove into? Okay. So I basically said... These are the things that I had done in my life. And I had started working at a, it's like a Staples big box store, Mm -hmm. but it was a smaller version of it that my parents and my uncle had owned and, um, and I worked there and I had gone basically from dusting to being the cashier to moving up to accounts payable, accounts receivable, then shipping, purchasing, receiving, up to the point where I was the VP of operations, where I made sure the whole store ran properly. So when I explained that to the guy, he's like, oh, I have a job for you. Yeah, like that's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So he put me in with Gary to work at Center Ops. So I was the secretary Mm -hmm. and I walked in and there was a counter that was probably eight feet long, about an inch deep of paperwork. And he says, can you just organize this? And I'm like, I have no idea what this paperwork even is. Right. So I just started and organized and got the guys, you know, more organized with their paperwork, handed the stuff in to be paid so that our accounts were (laughs) not in arrears. And so that's where I started. And slowly I worked into doing purchasing through the email so they wouldn't have to drive to lay to get their supplies. And from there I grew into my purchasing role. And so you did that for several years, I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you did, well, Gary did a little bit of supply buying. Yeah. And then at one point, probably two to three years ago, you were asked to move to a different location in P&G. Did you talk about that? Yes. Um, <clears throat> when I was doing my purchasing role, we had an 18-month furlough. So I actually went back halfway through just because I was still doing my job from Canada. So I wanted to go back and just touch base and a container was coming. So I just wanted to help facilitate that. While I was there, leadership approached me and said, would you guys be willing to move to Medang? So I was like, well, I'm the only one here. Let me talk to Gary. And so we decided that we would go help Mm -hmm. in Medang. Mm -hmm. So that change is huge because... You're going from the highlands of PNG where, you know, we have 
amazing weather there. Mm-hmm. To a coastal town that's a lot smaller and a lot hotter. Oh, yes. It's usually about 30 to 35 degrees Celsius during the day. And we've seen it go up as high as 38 to 40. And then with the Humidex, it feels even worse because you're talking, I don't know, 75 to 85% humidity every day. And nights, it goes down to 25. And after a while, 25 feels cold. (laughs) That's crazy. But when you first arrive, it's still darn hot. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. Um, So some of our listeners might not really understand the whole concept of support role versus church planting role. And so Ethnos Canada sends church planters um, to tribal locations. And Ethnos Canada also sends support workers to be, just like the word, support those missionaries. Could you talk a little bit about how all that works and just how valuable a support worker is? Okay, so we have many different support roles. Um, There's many ways that we support our Bush missionaries. In PNG, there's no road that connects everything. We had a family come and they were landing in Port Moresby and they're like, oh, we could just take the train or whatever to come to your base in Medang. And we're like, no, there's no way of getting there except flying. You have to fly. So the first thing that's really important to have is an aviation department to help us get supplies and people into the tribal locations. There are some works that you can drive in, but even then the roads are horrible, but um, it's doable. Mm -hmm. So aviation is very critical to Papua New Guinea. That leads us into, we have pilots and we have our mechanics, but where are they going to stay? If they were to stay in a regular kind of Western type house, the rent would be around 1000 to 2000 kina, or is it dollars? It's really expensive per month. Yeah. And so it just is not even feasible. And then you're not even going to get a house that you're really used to. It may still not have indoor plumbing. Right. So we've decided as a mission that we would build a base or a center that has these houses in there. So that means we need to have people come and build these houses and maintain these houses. And now you've got a crew of people that need to be there to help keep that infrastructure going. The other issue is there are no schools that our kids can go to. So now we need to build a school for the kids that are also coming with their parents. So we build our school and then we need to bring in teachers. And now we need more houses to keep those teachers in a house where they can still work. Um, the Bush missionaries are also able to use the school and dorm if their kids, I think, are in grade eight. So that helps the Bush missionaries be able to send their kids to kind of get a bit of a Western look to living where they've been in the bush all their lives. So it gives them that transition, that step back into going back to their passport countries. Then the other issue in Papua New Guinea specifically, is we do not have good hospitals or health care. There's many third world countries that still do have good hospitals. We just do not. So now we bring in doctors to Mm -hmm. run a clinic who can help us out in many ways. And whenever they can't, they will fly us to Australia on a medevac. 
So now we need houses for our doctors and our nurses to run our clinic. So now our base has 70 houses to help house all our teachers, all our center workers, and uh, yeah. All and it's things. one big team that keeps the yes. ball rolling. Like it just keeps them out there. Yeah, we actually need all this in place before we even send a missionary out. Without mm-hmm. the planes, we can't send them to a tribal location. Mm-hmm. So the other thing we also have is a store on our base where we bring in food from the U.S. and from Lay. And so that helps stock our store with stuff that are pretty necessary for cooking. I know we could probably get away with some of those things, but it just makes life easier. Mm-hmm. So the other issue is that in town, you may not always get these critical foods because they'll run out. So having that backup supply from the States really helps. So the tribal bush missionaries can now send an order in and get the food they need. It gets packed by our tribal supply team. The aviation department picks it up in the morning and brings it to the airport. They load it on a plane and deliver it. Without that, the bush missionaries would have to come out every two to three months and do their own shopping and then bring it back with them. So our supply department is critical to allowing our bush missionaries to stay and do the work that they're good at. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going into a bush because I'm not good at language and teaching, but they are. So I'm going to support them in my way of making sure they have the food and education and the doctors and the houses to house them so that they can do well in the tribe. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that skit. Uh, Have you ever seen where they have um, different ministries written down on a place card? And um, so you would hand them out to the crowd and um, some of them say pilot, some of them say um, dorm parent, um, supply buyer, just everything that you've listed, teachers. Mm -hmm. And um, I've seen even place cards that say sending church. And I love that concept because it's showing that, okay, we're one body Mm -hmm. with one purpose with many parts. And um, well, 1 Corinthians talks about that too, how, um, you know, how, how each member is so important. And um, I think I would just encourage people to go on a missions trip and see what it's like overseas and see how missionaries work together. It's not just a one-man show. It's funny you should mention that because what really drove us to come into missions was we did a short-term mission trip to Dominican Republic and saw the support side of things and realized we can do that. And Mm -hmm. that's what brought Mm -hmm. us to P&G. I love that. Yeah. That's actually how my parents got involved was short-term missions trip. Um, So now you're in Medang. Yes. And you're loving the heat. Most days. (laughs) Some days it's unbearable, but then I just go to the office and work and there's some AC there to take the edge off. So, And you have a pretty vital role there. I've Mm -hmm. heard... um, well, I read your prayer letters. <laughs> and Yay, I, yeah. someone does. <laughs> and I know what you do. So can you just talk a little bit about what a normal day would be like for you um, 
in Medang. Okay, so first thing in the morning, we get up pretty early, be just because the birds are loud and it's light out. So I miss that. Our days are different there. We go to bed early and get up early. So you want to work in the times where it's a little bit cooler, so you get up early. Anyway, the first thing I do is I deal with all my emails before I even start my day because I'm probably not going to be seeing my computer again for a while. So I deal with all those. Um, then I go to the office, make sure all our employees have clocked into our little computer because we have 15 employees. Okay, I was going to ask busy. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we make sure that our computer's working for one thing, because if the internet's not working, it's hard for them to even clock in. So internet's always an issue there because of, it's a third world country. And we have these companies that just really don't know how to run a good internet program or whatever. So anyway, that's the first thing we do. And then I go to the office and I do any business office stuff. Um, So that would be like maybe the guys did some buying in town and I have to hand in the invoices to our headquarters office so that they can pay those bills and make sure our accounts are in good standing. Um, Then I check to make sure everyone has actually clocked in. So our employees are all showing that they're there. If they're not there, then I find out why. Maybe they're sick or they just didn't clock in properly. So do all that. Then my ladies will come and my ladies do things like right now E2 is running. So some of my ladies will do childcare, and these are national ladies from the community. And my other lady, she does cleaning. So she has a, I have a board where it shows her what houses are occupied, what houses are now empty, which guests have left, and she cleans the houses accordingly. What is E2? I, I haven't heard of that before. Okay. E2 is when... We have our new missionaries who have just come to the field as church planters, and they come to do our E2 program, which means they're going to learn culture and language at our center. Okay, so um, both husband and wife are both sitting down um, learning the language, which is? It's talk pizin that they learn first, and they learn how to learn that language so that when they go into a tribal location and learn that tribal language they have the skills and know how how to learn that language right so and it's just yeah mom and dad also have classes so they're learning about the culture in their classes and they learn about how to even live life in png right how to relate to the people yeah yeah so while that's running we have ladies to help with child care so that mom and dad can both be learning and in class um so then I have my lady who cleans, and she's great. I have got a board now, and she just looks at it, and away she goes. She knows what she has to do. So, And then after that, if we're in the middle of a project, I might go to the house where they're working and just make sure things are going well. I kind of project manage mm-hmm. all the projects around the base. So, And if there's any painting to be done, then I do the painting. Oh. So that's kind of... What we should I have do. got her to paint our new office here. Yeah. <laughs> I love painting. I said, one day I'd like to be paid to paint. So here you go. Yeah. I'm now finally being paid to paint. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so then we'll have, like, uh, Gary and I will come home for lunch, and that's if Gary's not too busy with something else. Right. It seems everyone wants to deliver stuff to our base at lunchtime. So a lot of times he's busy helping with that. And so and then in the afternoon, 
um, my ladies are typically gone by then, so I don't have to worry about them. And then I can do more stuff like if I need to do planning for next projects and what supplies we need to buy, I get lists together so that Gary can go to town and buy it. Or if we need um, to top up our petty cash, I figure out how much we need. So yeah, I'm busy with a lot of different things. So we're in charge of guest house. We're in charge of the infrastructure. We're in charge of the grounds, our employees, making sure everything's ready for our E2 program and also Interface, which is a six-week college program in June and July where students come and learn about what it's like to be a tribal missionary. And so we run these programs throughout the year and there's three of them so that keeps us busy making sure the houses have what they mm -hmm. need if something breaks to fix it gas bottles replacing when this you're cooking and suddenly you run out of gas and we need to run and get you a new bottle so yeah yeah lots we run of around. stuff yep. yeah lots of stuff to prepare um wow that's great thank you thank you for sharing that and for just your years of service there and um we're going to just do a little transition here. Um, you talked about your kids and how old they were. And um, that was when you first came into the mission. Now um, they, you're empty nesters. Yes, we are. And um, life is a little different with <coughs> no kids at home. And um, just the transition of going from a family of six to a family of two. Mm -hmm. So what is that like for you? Well, I guess the hardest thing is learning how to cook for two. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Large quantities of food that you and Gary cannot eat. <laughs> no, it just goes in the fridge for um, leftovers for the next week. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's always difficult to leave your kids behind. Mm -hmm. And it's just the mm -hmm. two of us. And after, at first, it was very quiet and it's like, what do we do with our time? I know. Your kids kind of encompass your whole life. So we just work. Um, we're able to. There's just the two of us. So we put in long days. We work Saturdays. You're he healthy. So. Yep. Yeah. So you might as well work. Otherwise, I could sit all day and read a book. But I don't know. That's There's so you. much to be done. Yeah. So so we work. Um, yep. How do you communicate with your kids? Can you call on Digicel or... You could call on Digicel, but that's very expensive. So we actually have an app that uses our data and uses What's very that? little. No, it's actually text now. Oh. So you actually get a phone number that is based out of your area. So it's from St. Thomas, the phone number. And I can now use that anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. So we always use we WhatsApp. Yeah. Yeah. What was we, that? We Talk do now? have WhatsApp too. Text now. Oh, text now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we have our, we have WhatsApp as well. Yeah. But then um, the difficulty of trying to get a hold of your kids in Canada from P&G is that. Time difference. P yeah. <laughs> P&G is literally 14 hours ahead. So right, and now, right now. 15. Oh, is it 15 until now? Until the time change. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so we're talking, you and I, it's like 30, 9 o'clock here in the morning, and it would be like almost midnight there the next yeah it's day. 11 o'clock <laughs> at night the same day yeah yeah same yep. day yeah yeah it's 11 o'clock at night right now yeah so time difference or can 12, sometimes yeah. mess you up 
Um, yeah. We yeah. can only call certain times, yeah. which makes it hard to connect. So we usually do that on Sundays. Sundays are connect. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So Sylvia, I have a question for you. What would you ask, or what if you could speak to your younger missionary self now, what would you tell yourself? Okay. So basically, I think you're asking what kind of things have we learned? And the biggest thing I have learned is that missionary work is hard. Mm. So it's hard saying goodbye to your family and friends when you first go to the field. It's all exciting and you don't realize it till you're at the airport and suddenly you're about to go mm. and everyone's crying and you're like, oh my goodness, what are we doing? What have I done? Yes. <laughs> And I remember when we arrived and we had been in Lapalo with our kids for about maybe three weeks. And I said to my husband, what have we done? We've just uprooted our family and we're living in a third world country and my parents cannot see my kids. And back then there was no WhatsApp and FaceTime. So you really just couldn't connect with your grandkids. So it is hard. Um, It's hard making friends on the field. Because you make friends on the field and then they leave or you leave and you're always saying goodbye. Um, It's hard seeing all the needs on the field and people who aren't coming to help fulfill those needs. Yeah. Uh, It's hard seeing your kids struggle with, Mm. you know, a different school system, um, a different having to make their own friends with transitioning from Canada to PNG every time we go back and forth. But I've also learned that even though it's hard, God is still with you every step of the way. And he is the God of all comfort. Mm -hmm. So even though my friends may go, I still have the Lord. And in the end, it is so worth it. Mm -hmm. So I would do it all over again, even though it's hard. Mm -hmm. Would you go sooner then? It's Mm -hmm. funny because we talk about that every time because we did go later on in life. Right. But if we look back... At all the things we learned along the way, I think God had us come at the perfect time because we would not have had all those skills to do the job we do now. Mm. So even though in my mind I had committed to doing missions in college and still I was very stubborn and I was like, I don't want to go. I like the comforts of home. And finally, when God said, no, you need to go, I had that peace. And I know that God had that journey for me. Yeah, I love that. I could have regrets, but... Mm -hmm. I think I just need to say, no, this is the Lord's plan, and this was the time he wanted us to go. He prepares us. He does. Yeah. When we don't even know it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having this conversation with Lauren and I, and we just really appreciate you taking the time, and um, we'll just be praying for you as you head back to P&G and for um, this role that you guys have in supporting missionaries. and. Um, it's just so vital. We were one body, many parts, all mm-hmm. working together to see unreached people groups come to Christ. And so th- thanks for the time. You're welcome. And yes, it takes a team. Yeah. Hey, so if you have a skill, maybe you're a teacher, a nurse, or an IT tech, and would like to know how you can use your skills to support church planting among the unreached, visit ethnos.ca slash skilled associates.
just incredible how much work it takes and how many different skill sets are needed to see the gospel taken to remote places. If you're interested in visiting Papua New Guinea or going on a short-term mission trip, you can learn more at ethnos.ca slash interface. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and tell others about Compel Podcast. You can also connect with us on Instagram at Compel Podcast. Catch you next time.